Coming up on this episode of Destination Linux, we're covering community feedback, the effective use of social networking, the Pine tab, Half-Life 3, or not Half-Life 3, I mean Half-Life Alex, tips and tricks, software spotlight, all this coming up right now on Destination Linux. Welcome to episode 174 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of sharing our passion for Linux and open source. Destination Linux is a show for all experience levels. So whether you're a beginner to Linux or a master suitor, you are welcome. Welcome to the show. My name's Noah, and with me today are the Scooby Snacks of Linux, Michael and Ryan. As usual, the intro has really no meaning. We don't know what it means. We just say it because it's in the doc, and we find out as we go on. So let's start by finding out what everybody's been up to this week. Michael, how have you been? I've been great. The Scooby Snacks is because there's a Scooby new Scooby Doo movie or whatever. Sounds like it's very Linux related. Yeah, it's right, right. Right. <laughs> the Scoop the Scooby Snacks of Linux, exactly. But right. um, the sure. but, makes but, total oh, sense. But as far as like what I've been doing, it's mostly I've been doing all kinds of things. But I'm super excited to finally show the new l graphics and layouts that I've been doing for the OBS and for DL. So yes. Here is, uh, we've, I've set it up that we can have multiple different cameras from different scenes and switching, and I can do it all live. So I have different, I, I can switch between a per, individual cameras. So I have full screen of my camera, but we also have like the normal grid style. But I have a new three per, three person vertical grid, which is like this one. So it's a lot, a lot more fancy, and we got like all this different real time switching and stuff like that. So I am super excited. And I, I hope you all like it. And let me know in the comments below what you think. It's worth it. I think so. Now, anyway. to the majority of our audience, people who listen via audio, you get nothing. But for the video people, Michael is creating more scenes. Right. Okay, yes. For the people who are watching or, or not watching the show and just listening in the audio version, yes, it's exactly the same. But uh, well, now, that you, now you know that there is a video version, at least, if you didn't know, and that it's now even fancier than it was before. So there you go. There you, thank, go. you know, I I think we should just take a moment and just say honestly, thank you for all the crap that we give you, Michael. You put in hours and hours of work, and you really do have a talent. Anybody that's lucky enough to get Michael Tanell to do work for them um, <laughs> is truly fortunate. I mean, really, you are a lucky person. But the, but the amount of the, the amount of work really shows in 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 the way that that the show is being presented now, and it really takes on a new and very professional look. So, you know, I really appreciate all the work that you do, and I'm sure everybody that watches the video version appreciates it well. I guess we'll just track this up as one more thing about hashtag be more like Michael. Exactly. I'm glad that's a hashtag now. It needs to be. Ryan, what's new in your world? So this week I've been playing with a couple different things. Obviously, I'm still doing the Python courses and code combat along with my actual college courses in the code combat. I created a coding guild. We have over 20 people who are still competing to beat my level on there. So we're doing, we're having a lot of fun and learning some Python while we're at it. But I also got this itch because of our live patron chat yesterday to try Ubuntu Unity. Everybody is talking about Unity in our Telegram group. Everybody was talking about Unity yesterday. It seems like everybody is missing Unity. So I tried, is it Umix Ubuntu? It's very cool kind of going back because when I first started in Linux, Unity was still what would come installed in Ubuntu, which was the first distro that mm -hmm. I tried. And so going back and looking at the work that's been done since then and now, Unity still holds its own against all of the desktop environments today. 
meaning it still looks current. It still looks modern. It still moves quick. It still has a great workflow that you remember with Unity. And it's been quite impressive. I've enjoyed it. What does the community support look like around UMix? How many, do you have any idea what the user base is like? Is there, are there any forms or places that people can go for, um, for support and such? Wasn't it Popey, Michael, that said, and I might be misquoting him here, but that there's a huge percentage of their base. He mentioned it in our Telegram group that's still on older versions of Ubuntu, like pre-version 16. That yeah, 1604 still, still has Unity on it, and it's also still maintained. Not necessarily maintained in the terms of like, like genuinely a maintained uh, DE, but in the sense that it's, you know, it's in the long term support still for another year. So they are still, you know, doing security updates and fixes like that. But uh, yeah, I think there's still a significant people who are still using 1604. It's continued on, though, from 60. That's what I'm trying to say. Like Unity is still being developed by a small community base. Yes. So I believe TG Tech and some others are out there. UB Ports obviously is doing some work on Unity Touch. And there are other individuals who are continuing to keep Unity alive out there. But honestly, it kind of dropped off my map. So I don't know how big the community is that's supporting it. But it certainly has a lot of love out there, which I remember starting with Ubuntu. There was so much Unity hate. Now it seems like everybody's fondly looking back. And myself looking at it again, I'm just so impressed with how it's able to still look so current today as it did back then. And when I say current today, I mean against other desktop environments. I'm Mm -hmm. kind of surprised we don't have an official Ubuntu Unity flavor. I think it needs to be brought back. Well, I mean, the the main reason they don't have it is because like like the Ubuntu Unity remix is being made. But because Canonical has, you know, decided to not make Unity anymore, that's it, it, in order to take it on, you, you're taking on a big task because with all the different flavors, like say for Kubuntu and Lubuntu and Ubuntu Mate, like all of those different flavors have a DE that are being maintained by a separate project. So for example, like uh, Kubuntu is using Plasma, but that's maintained by KDE, not the flavor itself so in order to have a flavor that de needs to be maintained by someone and at the current state there that de is not Uh, actually being maintained i you know i don't know if i i don't know if i entirely agree with that you look at ubuntu mate right what other i mean that is the largest implementation of the mate desktop yes there is fedora mate and yet but but the largest push for the Mate desktop is Ubuntu Mate, and that's maintained as a flavor. So I, I really think there was a very large, loyal base of, of Ubuntu Unity fans, and I think that even to include some of the people that worked at Canonical. And I would have liked to see the community pick that up, and then Canonical, it would have been really great if Canonical would have just done a, a lift up and switch, right? And just say, okay, Ubuntu Gnome is a flavor right now. We're going to make that the default, and we're going to take Ubuntu Unity, and that's going to become a flavor. And just kind of swap those and let the community continue on. I mean, that that really is the most straightforward, logical way that we really intend open source to work, is it not? Yeah, and I believe that if they brought Unity back, this is me putting out there that it would become the second, maybe at worst, the third most popular desktop environment of all the Ubuntu flavors. And the reason I say that is if you think about the huge base that's still sitting on 16 and before, they would all migrate to what they're used to, what they're utilizing in their workplaces, because a lot of those are probably businesses and places that have implemented that. They're used to that environment. 
they would use Unity, and I think there's a big enough fan base that would use Unity as well. I mean, I think that the, you're you're right, but the difference is is that Unity was already the number one DE of Linux. Like before Canonical dropped it, it was already the number one DE because because Ubuntu was the biggest one, and it was the the default thing that you use with Ubuntu. So it's I don't think that that's really a a factor, but I still think that without some a, a project maintaining Unity itself, I don't think a flavor could really sustain being official. Like I, I think it's really cool that the Ubuntu Unity Remix is being made, and I think that Umix OS is being made is really cool. But at the same time, it's still a problem of there's not really someone maintaining Unity Seven. Now, now the Lomiri is the fork that UB Ports made, where they they made their own. A UbiPorts version of Unity 8, and they turned that into Lomiri. So it's a completely separate DE now. So like there's Unity 8, then there's Unity 7, or Lomiri and now Unity, I guess. So like this is a problem in the sense that if they don't have a, a project that is focus is maintaining Unity, I don't really see how an, a flavor could become official because there's really no guarantee there's security updates being maintained or all that stuff. As soon as Canonical drops the maintenance that they're doing for the LTS version, because the last version of, 16, of LTS that had Unity was 16.04, and that means in just a year or so, they're no longer going to be you know required to maintain it. So at that point, it would need to have some project jump in and maintain it. And, but I, I wanted to say, like, I think that Unity is one of the best DEs ever. And it's it's unfortunate, like, that it was killed because it had so much potential and it was so polished. And it was just a very nice DE. And I think it's a shame that they got so much hate over the years. And only now there's a resurgence of people actually liking it because after years of hate, people finally started using it and realized it was good. Like that's well, that's unfortunate. When the, when the default everywhere is GNOME, you're kind of like, oh gosh, I miss Unity. Well, that's a fair point. That, you know, and here's the other <laughs> here's the other part of it too. I, I I don't want to go back to Unity being the default. I I don't want to go back to that because it's the only distribution that was using that particular desktop environment, and I don't I don't think that's that's really beneficial, and I don't think that's a great way to 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 divvy up resources. But at the same time, I would it would be nice. one of the big advantages that we always claim about open source is that we have all this choice. It would be great if we could maintain that choice while pushing the majority of our efforts to a more popular, more universal uh, desktop environment. Yeah. So Noah, what have you been up to? Well, the Volumio box has uh, has taken on a a life of its own. So. A lot of you are familiar with uh, the Volumio box I've talked about. It's essentially a soft open source software that you can put on a Raspberry Pi that allows web control of an audio player. So think of it like a web controlled version of an iPod that also does things like streaming and then has a full API system to it. And so I've paired that with Rivendell, which is a scheduling software originally designed for broadcast. And I've tied that to speakers that are all over my house. So I've used Polk audio speakers that are in the ceiling of every room with an individual volume control. And they go back to a Volumio box that's downstairs. And what I've done is, is set up a schedule system so that I can send alerts. And I've tied that into our ticket system. So if, and if a new urgent ticket comes in, it plays an alert over my house and I can hear it and go, oh, there's something I have to go do for work. Well, it's taken on the next evolution. I have now tied that into using Home Assistant into our RGB lights that are not only in behind all of our TVs, so the rooms light up various colors, but this weekend, uh, my wife and I, my kids, buried wire out to our, all of the trees in our backyard. And you made RGB them bury the wire? 
Well, they helped. I mean, that's, you know, that's they're pretty good. I love not, that. I need they're nine, six, that. and they're nine, six, and three. So it was really more of like my three-year-old saved all the worms so, so that cute. they didn't get damaged. The <laughs> six-year-old hit the three-year-old with the shovel, and then the the nine-year-old mostly supervised, but they helped. Um, but we got <laughs> we got twelve-volt wire for the for the RGB lights, and we also put speakers around the yard. And so now my volumeo box extends into the outdoor nature, and so I can start lighting up trees and and playing. Uh, cool relaxing music while we sit out in our backyard and if the one of the things was i wanted that to be on a separate zone because i wanted to be able to control the volume differently that way my neighbors aren't hearing my alerts that go off when we get emergency uh, ticket calls um so i set up a second volumium box lo and behold unknowns to me there is a built-in multi-room feature of volumio and so the app whatever volumio box you're paired to just pops up a little tab down at the bottom says multi-room you click on that and you can choose any volumio box in your house so i may or may not have suggested to my wife that maybe each room needs its own volumio box and that way we Makes could have me yeah i think so and she's you know so she had you know silly little questions like where are we going to put all of them how are you going to mount them how is that going to look neat <laughs> anyway so I'm probably going to buy like nine volume boxes because the multi-room feature is pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. That is so cool. Are you filming any of this? No, I probably should. But the yeah. thing is, the, so there's a couple of things. Uh, there was a guy in Telegram. So one of the things I talked about either on Ask Nowhere Destination Linux, I don't remember, is uh, by my bed, I have a, a a very special stand, I guess you'd call it. It's like a base, and then it has a post that comes up, and then there's a a, a swing arm that has a, a keyboard tray and a mouse and a monitor. And what I do is if I'm, you know, if I'm sleeping and at three in the morning, somebody calls and says, oh, this needs to be restarted or whatever, I reach and swing the monitor over, and it's dim super down so I don't, like, get blinded. And, uh, and I can take the trackball and just, I, without getting out of bed or even moving, just take the trackball and open up the window, do what I need to do, and then just shove it away. And there was a guy that asked sent me a message. He's like, hey, could you send me a picture of that? I, I just hard for me to conceptualize. I said, sure, no problem. I'll do that as I get as soon as I get home. Then I get home and I realize that like there's so many things that are around my house that I don't like I just can't really be pushing photographs out of like my whole family's there and the house is a mess and stuff like that. So I I would love to film some of this stuff, but it just you're, it's such a personal nature when you're at home, right. and I'm such a private person to begin with that the two don't really mix. But I, I do plan on trying to to get some of this out there because it's a really cool project, and people have done some bang up work on it um, to the point that it is better than any professional product that is out there. There is no proprietary alternative that I'm aware of to what Volumio can do. If you want a whole house audio solution, there is nothing better, and um, I'm enjoying the heck out of it. Now, for people looking for projects, you know, right now. What is the skill level required, would you say, to set up a basic one-room setup? Can you DD a image onto a Raspberry Pi? That's it. That's it. You can store that. You can download MP3s and store them right onto the, on the Volumia box if you don't want to bother setting up network storage. If you have a Samba storage or NFS, you can, it's, it's brain-dead simple to go in there and click Add Source, type in the... the um, you know, choose SMB or NFS, type in the IP address, and then you can pull your music that way. If you want to stream it, it's even easier because any of the web stations that that openly advertise to any of the big names, it automatically is aware of, or you can manually enter in a uh, an M3U address um, to stream. So, and then it's just on the back of the Raspberry Pi, there's a headphone jack, just plug it in. If you want to get a little more advanced, I purchased a Behringer, I'll have to look up the exact model, but it's a Behringer like UM222 or something like that. And it's a little USB audio interface that has actually really good quality 
and um, and works flawlessly with uh, volume. And it's only like I think eighteen bucks, nineteen bucks, something like that. Um, so and, and and again, that's that's really if you want to if you're really trying to split hairs because I wanted to get twenty four bit sampling rate and all that kind of stuff. But if if you just want to be able to hear the music, plug it into the headphone jack; it'll work just fine. That's awesome. This episode of Destination Linux and the entire DLN network is now sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps with their intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. I'll tell you what, as we get ready to set up Southeast Linux Fest, it the event just simply wouldn't be possible without DigitalOcean. I'll just come out and tell you that right now. It's not possible to drive to a data center and make the amount of infrastructure changes that we have needed to make, not just over a couple of weeks, but literally on an hour by hour basis and their team functionality to be able to set up a team and say, hey, all of these servers, everybody has access to them. And you know what? When we get rid of somebody from the team, they lose access to those servers, but we can redelegate their role to somebody else. The ability to manage all of those things and be able to set up an IP address that is stuck to that server no matter what account or what team that server is tied to is just entirely indispensable and just something you can't replicate in a modern data center. DigitalOcean has figured this stuff out. They were doing SSDs before anybody else was, and so they have the fastest, most robust infrastructure on the market, and you can get started today with DigitalOcean with two months free with a $100 credit by going to do .co slash DLN. What that means for you is DigitalOcean values the content that we do here at Destination Linux, and it has said to you guys, hey, we want to help your, your audience do the things that you guys are doing at DLN, because if you don't think DigitalOcean is what's powering the entire DLN network, you'd be wrong. So they're going to give you $100 credit, and you're going to find out exactly how powerful their infrastructure is without ever spending a dime. You'll be hooked, and you'll use DigitalOcean for the rest of your life. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN, and a huge thanks to, for DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So in our community feedback this week, Joe writes us to say, Hi, DLN crew. I know short is good, so I try my best to keep it short. Thank you for all the good, hard, and important work. You guys and your work is really awesome. My personal Kobayashi Maru test, I use Linux Debian based since 2007, and I would say I am a very experienced user. I wanted to switch to a rolling distro, Manjaro, good choice. Everything is perfect on Manjaro, except there is no graphical input at Lux full disk encryption at boot, only invisible typing. I heard in Manjaro forums and IRC that this is because of security reasons, because another GUI would cause more security issues. I'm sorry, but I find this very unreasonable. Why? Look, all the other major distros do so. So are they insecure? Just my opinion. I thought, okay, not a problem. I'm going to solve this. I checked Arch Linux Wiki, Manjaro forum, IRC, but I could not get this to work with my skills. I tried it several times over and over again from start and VBox with snapshots to work properly. No chance. That's why Kobayashi Maru for me. Isn't there just a simple how-to that works for Manjaro? Did not find any. For me, it's the opposite of trivial. If you as DLN crew have the opinion that Manjaro is also a beginner distro, should implement this, could you reach out to Philip or one of them and make a proposal? So I sent your email to Philip and asked him for a reply. He said, those distros use Plymouth to display is a nice in a nice graphical way. We have our own way to display the vendor logo called Boot Splash. We took over by SUSE. That code has no graphical way to display it yet, as it has not yet designed to do so. The door in Ubuntu did a great job to integrate same features to display vendor logos as we do with Boot Splash. 
So basically, setting up Plymouth should do the trick. We might look into Plymouth once more when we find some time. So your message has been heard. My Jaro team is going to look at that as an option. Uh, you also mentioned at the end that you wanted to clarify the correct order of the Star Trek shows. So we will we will read this because you <laughs> properly put the next generation as number one. And then nine. you put and Deep Space Nine in number one as well. You, Which is you a good can't decision. have a one in one dot five. Yeah, yes. No, they're not one. It's not one in one dot five. They're both one. That's wow. that's why that's how DS9 is so important. I, I agree. Then you had Enterprise, this. Voyager, TOS. Picard and Discovery. So, you know, not not a bad placement. Kind regards, Joe from Germany. Joe, great email. We sent that off to Philip. Also, just keep in mind that when people say things in forums like it's because of a security issue or whatever, anybody can go there and respond to your questions in the forums. So they may not know what they're talking about, um, but we got you the source directly and hopefully they may make that change in the future to help you out. Yeah. Also in the feedback this week is Willie. He writes us to say, Dear DL team, I'm a DL fanboy since about four months. Awesome, thank you. And was particularly glad that, about your last episode where you covered swap usage, time shift, and time shift auto snap. I just wanted to let you know that I forked time shift auto snap to make it work with Debian and Ubuntu-based systems. You can find the code and the instructions how to install it here, and he links it. We'll have it linked in the show notes. Also, if you are on ButterFS system, one can easily Noah. combine this with Grub ButterFS to have a perfect, easy system rollback structure. I uh, hope you find this also useful and can spread the word about the script because TimeShift is a really awesome piece of software, in my opinion, and has saved my bacon quite a few times. Looking forward to the next episode, Willie. Thank you very much, Willie, for that, that email. And I totally agree that TimeShift is a really, really awesome piece of software. And uh, we'll have links to the at the Debian Ubuntu version that you linked, uh, you sent us in the email. We'll have that linked in the show notes below. Uh, and also, thank you. Really, That's really cool that you did this for uh, Debian Ubuntu. Well, what's interesting is we have two emails, both from Germany. Germany shows a lot of love for this show. So big shout out to all the fans out there in Germany. We love your faces. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. We love hearing from our worldwide community. We have a lot of ways for your voice to be heard. So you can send us a short email or a video that may be incorporated into the show. You can send the video links or the emails to comments at destinationlinux.org. You know, right now with unemployment, what it is and what's going on in our current world with people trying to work from home and people trying to reorganize their lives and, and put those online, a lot of people haven't haven't been doing that uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. And so there are there's a whole world of social etiquette and things that are genuinely helpful and things that are genuinely unhelpful to people when you're interacting with them online. And this applies to social networking. It applies to internet forum posts. It applies to if you're in the IRC or Telegram groups. Anything you're doing where you're interacting with an online community, it's important to be respectful and supportive to one another. And so what we want to do is kind of take some time to talk about exactly what that means. Social networking is the use of internet-based social media sites to stay connected with friends, family, colleagues, customers, and clients. And to that end, it has been a remarkable tool for people to maintain connections, even if people live on the other side of the world or have moved away or have limited connectivity. In the case of asynchronous communication, no longer do you have to stay up till 3, 4 in the morning. I remember when my dad would take trips to India. That's what we had to do as a family. We'd stay up until 3, 4 in the morning uh, or get up so that we could have a phone call conversation with them. You don't have to do that anymore on the internet. But of course, like everything, tools can be used for good and bad. 
And what had come up last week uh, when we had the women in Linux on was that there are some issues that come up on social networking sites and the internet at, as, as a whole. And Ryan and Michael and I really believe that the truth here is the vast majority of people mean well. It just doesn't always translate well into text. And Michael has kind of made a, a name for himself in that he can read any piece of feedback. He can read comments on YouTube. He can read comments that come into the show. Is he, can read, he, he does. And he, he can instantly. And Ryan and I look and we're like, screw that guy. Let's go find him. I'll his fight you down. real life. Right, exactly. Yeah. And Michael's like, <laughs> no, listen, here's what he was trying to say. What he's trying to say is there's he's saying that this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. And that's really good critique. And we really should take it. We should listen to that guy. He has some good points. And Ryan and I are like, I'm like, what's well, great advice. Why didn't he just say that? We did. It just didn't phrase it very well. So we thought we'll take an episode as digital conferences like self that are are, are going to be springing up and you are going to have an opportunity to participate in. And of course, we always have the DLN discourse forums. Those are up in 24 hours, seven days a week. The Telegram groups that we have been promoting every week, the virtual lugs that happen that Ryan and Michael are leading, the Hangouts with the Patreon, which is something you can get for a buck if you want to, to, to join and, and get connected. There are so many ways for you to become involved in the community. And we just want to give you some ideas on how to do that responsibly. So I guess I'll start, maybe we just go kind of round in, in, a, in, a, in a round table discussion and kind of start. Um, I, I guess for, for me, the first one is don't be a jerk. It, it doesn't make you edgy. It doesn't make you cool. It, it doesn't help your point. If you think that if you, if you say something in a very sarcastic way or in, in, you know, in, a, in a very authoritative way and you think, well, that'll be the end of that discussion. It doesn't. It really just makes people not want to interact with you. And I don't know if you've experienced that, Ryan or Michael, but I know I have on occasion. And I'm kind of a confrontational person because of the nature of my job and my that, that it essentially necessitates me to go into places where people are not happy, where things are not working. And I have to tell them that they have to spend money um, to fix their problem or, or I'm going to leave and then they're going to have to deal with it on their own. Um, and so learning to have those kinds of conversations in a productive, constructive manner is a certain amount of talent. It does take a certain amount of work. And most importantly, it takes a certain amount of humility. And I think that that's something that you have to be willing to do before you go online. Understand what you stand for. Understand what you're, what you're interested in accomplishing. And then go out there and do that in a constructive and positive way. What experiences have you had, Ryan? Well, yeah, I see this a lot. And I just want to frame in here that one of the reasons why we want to cover this as well is right now I have so many friends in, within my network. And we also see this in, in talking to some of the patrons yesterday live, or it's everywhere of people who are furloughed or out of work. And one way is that you can look for other opportunities out there, one of the key things that you'll hear from many people, including myself, worked in corporate America for over 20 years is that you need a good network, a strong network. One of the ways you can build that network is through social media. Now, obviously, I have this love-hate relationship with social media because of all the privacy implications and things which we'll get into here. But at the time where you need to put food on the table, you need to feed your families. Or if you're worried that you may have that problem in the future, building your network is a really good thing that you can do. But your reputation, what happens on the internet, stays there forever. So if you're one of those people who go around YouTube writing nasty comments, saying nasty things, you know, all the social media is about your political views and how much you hate the other side and the opponents and all of that, people look at your social media when they're thinking about hiring you. They may be even on the same political spectrum as you, but they're not going to take the risk of hiring you because of the things that you're out there saying and putting online. 
And so really, this is an advice column for, in a lot of ways, to say, these are some things that you should do in general. Now, there's nothing wrong with being funny. There's nothing wrong with, like, you know, we make fun of Michael constantly. That's out there on social media. There's nothing wrong with that. People get it. But there's it has nothing to be wrong with making fun of Michael constantly. No, yeah, if wrong. you want to be edgy and you want to say mean <laughs> things, say it to Michael. No, I'm teasing. Um, but really, the important thing here is, you know, being a goofball all the time, being a jerk, as as Michael said, people take note of that. And you have the opportunity within all this community that we've created to put it out there. And I suggest you do to say, hey, I'm out of work. I'm on furlough. I need a job. We even have a job posting section in discourse. But your interactions with other people are going to determine whether somebody's like, well, I do have an open position. But every time I've seen that person talk, they're rude, obnoxious, mean. Uh, they don't, they're not very helpful. They talk about how much they hate their current job. This is a big thing that I see in a lot of people too, about how they talk so negatively about their current job or prior jobs as a hiring manager. That's a huge red flag for me. I don't know about you, Noah, but when they spend, you know, 20 minutes of their interview talking about how much they hate their current job, I'm like, eh, you know, you, you stayed there for 10 years and it's the worst experience you've ever had in your life. Why? That's very confusing well, you to know, me. The, the other part of it is too, is uh, un, unless it's a company that I have some experience with and, and I, you know, if they have a reputation or something like that, you know, that there's one thing and usually then nothing has to be said. But when somebody comes in and all they want to do is complain about their current employer, what it tells me is that person has a genuinely bad attitude on life and isn't good at problem solving themselves. Because if they were, they wouldn't have found themselves in that situation to begin with. And yeah. I don't hire people that are not good problem solvers because that's sort of what we do. But probably the best social media expert on here is Michael. I mean, he's in marketing. He does this stuff. He even has a Facebook account, which makes me want to throw up. But he has one of those things. And uh, what's your advice, Michael? I mean, what, what do you tell people when they're looking for creating a social networking presence? Well, in many cases, like most of my social networking stuff is related to brand awareness and marketing and and that many aspects. It's not really necessarily for interviews and, you know, that kind of individual brand assessment, but you could also apply a lot of these things to it as well. But like, it's mostly like being a polite person, no matter where you are and how you interact with people. When you're putting stuff out that's toxic, no one really wants to talk with you. Like you're just, you're just kind of being throwing out stuff into the ether and just, I guess for the goal of to annoy society. So, yeah, but my friends know me as someone who's so edgy, Michael. Yeah. How can I show them how edgy I am online if I can't say those things? Right. No one cares if you're edgy or not. Just even in general life, no one cares if you're edgy or not. It doesn't make you cool. It doesn't make you like fun to hang out with. No one really cares about that. So it's more of a situation where the toxicity creates a problem that people don't want to have a conversation with you. If you're doing it in a sense of like Twitter and you're just being hateful, when a when a company sees the, the, your submission and they, they're going to look your stuff up on social media because that is just a guarantee now these days. Part of our life now. Yep. Yeah. So whether you're using Facebook, Twitter, or Mastodon or whatever, if you are toxic online and you're publicly toxic, that is a perfect example of sign to say, not going to hire that because if you're publicly toxic, what happens when it's in you know in private? Like when you're actually dealing with people you're working with in a, in a place in a place that's not being seen by th potentially by thousands of people, they could be even worse. So if you are that type, well, I guess if you are that type, continue to do that so they won't hire you. No, but if you're not that type, don't don't risk it. <laughs> if I were if I if I could just give if I could give you just one piece of advice, it would be this. 
focus on being a good servant of the community, not a, a loud voice in the community. There are so many, the most intolerable pe people on the internet are not the people that uh, that have strong opinions. It's the people who have absolutely no interest in understanding. They just want to disclose what's on their mind. And if we can, if if you can learn to restructure yourself and search for true wisdom and true knowledge, and focus on searching for wisdom and knowledge, and 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 stop worrying about uh, about just being the person that can add something to a conversation, you've got two ears and one mouth. Uh, you should be hearing and seeing twice as much as you're talking. And 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 what you find is, anytime there's even the hint of a rumor, right? What happens is everybody takes it and runs. Nobody actually ever bothers to get to the bottom of the story. Nobody wants to go talk to the people that were actually involved. Everybody just wants to spread what they heard or what they saw or what some group that they think has some sort of authority on the subject. And so that group said that thing. So this must be the truth. And then they go out and spread that all over the internet. Those are the most intolerable to, to, to me anyway, are the most intolerable people uh, on the face of the internet is is because they they're not truly engaged in bettering the community it's like a bunch of monkeys in a big barrel and they all pull each other off the the off the barrel so that nobody can get out and it's it's they want to keep the internet at the lowest common denominator and it's very frustrating to work with and so if if you're that kind of person i, I wouldn't necessarily say keeping that kind of person so you don't get hired i guess i would say work on bettering yourself work on looking at, at a situation saying this person asked a question that i think is a stupid question i think this person should take three seconds and just google the answer and then they would know the answer to the question and instead they think that they're going to waste my time like i'm going to answer that silly question right if you can get if you can if you can get from beyond yourself and understand the concept of 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 being a real servant to the community and going in there and saying hey you know what let me google that for you don't tell them that just get the answer and then give them the answer and give them a couple of wins you empower that person you encourage that person you help their self esteem you help them with their problem and 6 months down the road if if that kindness and that generosity has been given to them then they're willing to give it to the next person when they when they're asked for help and so you you start to really build a community and i i've cited this example a number of times i, I i'm sorry to keep coming back to it but it, it is just so relevant to to what we're talking about i had the the sandbaker group the people had knew nothing about linux whatsoever and was giving a presentation at a university and a couple of them came up to me and said, you know, could we talk about that a little more? And now those guys, the guys I go to when I have video question, video editing questions on Linux, because they do so much of that content and they're just they're they have really honed it. Um, so that would be my advice is, is, is learn to learn to learn the art of humility and learn the art of checking your own personality and your own ego, and being able to go on the internet and saying, how can I help? Yeah, I think that, that that's really critical. And right now, by the way, uh, for those who keep your social media accounts private and you think, well, that's going to keep you safe, companies have workarounds for that as well. They create profiles. The profiles aren't like IBM or Red Hat. They're like Bob and Sam with a picture of a regular person that requests to follow you. And then they look at your profile once you let them in. So they, they also have ways of trying to see how you are in social media that's not very obvious of what you're posting out there. But I do think it's about creating a brand. What is your brand that you put out there? And if you utilize social media, if you don't care and you don't ever need a job and maybe you're self-employed, you've created your own business, it doesn't matter, do whatever you want. What we're trying to do here is say for those who are in a situation where 
they want to create a brand in which they would be considered hireable, somebody you're going to notice them, you need to pay attention to what you're typing, what you're putting out there, how you're contributing to people and utilize that networking capability of social media to its maximum potential. I can tell you with people that I've been personally working with through this crisis of getting them jobs and things, social media has been a huge proponent in allowing me to find positions that are out there and the network that I've built over the years, being able to call up some friends and say, hey, I have this buddy, they're in this situation, can you help them out and get them placed very quickly, even in this economy. So the social media stuff is a really valuable tool. And we create a lot of it just on this network, but there's a lot of tools outside of this network that allow you to really create that moment in that brand. But one thing I want to mention, Michael, that you talk about is putting out there what you need. There are so many people who go through these terrible things, like they lost their job, they don't know how they're going to put food on the table, and they don't say anything to anybody because they're embarrassed of it. Well, look, in this economy, everybody's losing their job. There's nothing embarrassing about it. What would you, what is the advice you would tell them? Well, there's the main thing is about, about that particular piece is that there's a, there's a, there's different various variations of this, this phrase or this quote, but I kind of have one of my own that is similar. It's essentially, if you don't ask the question, the answer is always no. So if you don't give them the opportunity to say yes, you can't ever get anything but no. So if you have a situation where you have lost your job and you, you, you are upfront about it, people have been on Twitter, have posted it, and then you can see replies back with say people saying, hey, give me a call or send me a DM and we'll, I'll see if I can help you out and that kind of thing. Like if you put that out there, there's a possibility that someone might see it and be interested to help you out. But if you never put it out there, then the answer is always you're never going to get the help. But uh, what I was saying earlier about the whole being toxic thing, that was mostly a joke that if someone is a genuinely toxic person, I don't really I don't I don't know if they could actually be helped because if it's more, there has to be at least a kernel of, you know, politeness there. And if they're just genuinely toxic, then whatever. I mean, I'm, your social media is creating I, your brand. If you're a negative person, everything is a smart aleck remark. Uh, you're, you're creating the brand that that's who you are. And if that's the brand you want, fine. But understand that comes with consequences. I've hired people. Noah's done this. I've seen Noah do it on the spot. Hey, I, I want to talk to you. Uh, somebody from a show, somebody jumped on. You said, hey, I might have a position for you. It was just right there on the spot. I've done the same thing. I've hired waiters, waitresses, people from McDonald's. doesn't matter. If I see somebody who has an amazing attitude, an amazing presence, I'm going to do everything I can to get them working for me because it's going to be an amazing experience with my team. Those are the people I look for. So it doesn't matter what you do, but you have to tell people, Hey, you know, I'm looking for something different. I always wanted to get into the tech field. Really sit down. Let's talk about it. But you got to have that brand that you're putting out there as somebody who wants that. I, uh, first sales guy we ever had was a sandwich maker at Panera bread, a restaurant I didn't even want to eat at, but was invited there by a family member. And I walked in and I, it was really, it was me who had the bad attitude. They asked me what I wanted. And I said, I don't want anything. The store sucks. I don't like anything you have. And this guy, he wouldn't give up. He just, well, how about this sandwich? How about this? How about this? And eventually he ended up selling me on a sandwich that I ended, really, ended up really liking and um, walked up to him 15 minutes later, handed him my card and said, hey, you ever want to make twice what you're making here? <laughs> just do the same thing. But instead of selling sandwiches, I got other stuff for you to sell. And, you know, you're right. If, if your current employer doesn't appreciate you and you're putting 100% into it, somebody else will come along and pick you back up. But if you just have a bad attitude about it and you just assume this is as bad as it's going to get and it's never going to get any better, and then, it, then that will 
you will be correct. You'll be proven correct as well. Only thing I would ad- disagree with Michael um, to a certain extent is, and maybe I'm just naive, but I just have more faith in, in human beings than that. I, I think people can change. And I think in fact, the internet for all of the bad things it brings us, one of the great things it allows us to do is it does allow us to filter a little bit and, and smooth out the rough edges just because I have a tendency to whatever the thing is, doesn't mean that that always has to come out online because I have the ability to make an intentional decision. No, I'm not going to send that message. And the most prevalent example I can think of that is Linus Torvalds is using some email filtering um, and some software tooling to strip out foul language because it offends people. And he is more comfortable writing that way. So he's probably going to continue to write that way. And then he'll have the technology just strip those things back out so that the message comes out. So I, I love that solution, by the well, way. I, just, I really do. I really think that, okay, that sometimes, because you know what, as, as human beings, I think we're all just kind of beat up and broken in a way. And so to a certain degree, I think there's a lot of value in the idea that, yeah, we all come in, we all are a little rough around the edges, but we can smooth that out and, and, and come together for a common cause and use tooling to do that. And so I, I would encourage people that if, 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 if you're told by those around you, hey, you're pretty miserable to be around you, you really, you really suck the, 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 uh, the enjoyment out when you, when you sit down at the table because you're always so negative or you're always so at whatever the thing is, here's your opportunity to change that. This episode of Destination Linux, it could be a new you, create a new screen name, create a new username, and now you're a different person. That's a great part about the internet. And you sure. don't have to go any further than that. I don't think that people can't change. I agree that there's definitely people who can change if they want to. It's just the situation of toxicity is something it's easy to be negative. It's easy to yes. be toxic. So sure. if someone who is just engulfed in that, I'm mm-hmm. not trying to convince them to not be it. If they want to if they want to better themselves, that's great. If they are continue well, also, I'm, I'm glad that I'm I I approve and respect your position to wanting to do that. I've just seen thousands and thousands of thousands of toxic, toxic things over the years of it's just that's the default people. It's easier to say no than it is to say yes. It's easier to be negative than it is to be positive. So you should absolutely if you want to and you want to change, that is fantastic. And I am super and and I, I respect that. And I am also very supportive of that. I will want to give them as many opportunities as they can, as I can to help them do that. That's why we were, we're putting it on this show is that we do want to help people get jobs. So we do want to help people, you know, position themselves in the best way they possibly can on social networking and wherever. But there's also cases where people might not realize that they're being negative, but they might be doing like a coy thing. Like for example, Noah said earlier about, you know, Google that for them and that kind of thing where there's mm-hmm. a website specifically for a joke of let me Google that for you. And it just kind of does the process for you. And it's sort of hilarious, it, by the way, it is a funny joke. It's just, there's certain pieces where if you're doing it for someone who's a beginner, you're doing it someone who's not aware of that, that website, it, you know, it kind of creates a thing where you kind of come off as a jerk. So if you would do yeah, that, I laugh and then say, I'm not going to ever hire you, but that was funny. Right, exactly. So <laughs> there, there. It is a funny site, but don't use it for uh, pretty much ever. You know, it's it's unless you're doing. If you already know that person, you're already comfortable with them. Feel free to right. do it then. Like Michael, we make fun of him all the time. We yeah, they him. send me multiple links like that. That's yes. totally fine. <laughs> Every five minutes. Every five minutes. Uh, but 
the, the main thing is, is that it comes off, it, it, you might not be intending it to be coming off as a jerk, but it does do that. So there are certain cases where people who are, you know, they're perfectly friendly and nice people, but they're not aware that what they're doing can be perceived Social as Social intelligence, right? Yeah. Um, so let's talk about platforms, because I feel like this is going to be an area where we send a lot of mixed messages here, because at the point where I need to put food on the table... I, you know how much I dislike a lot of social media. Right. So Ryan is saying he loves Facebook. That's what he just said. Yeah. He just started his new public profile. Yeah. What I'm (laughs) saying is that you do whatever you need to do to get uh, yourself out there. Um, I found that a lot of people are having huge success with LinkedIn specifically. And yes, all of these have privacy potential issues, Twitter, LinkedIn, Mastodon, Facebook, Um, But LinkedIn is a more professional online social media platform. It also allows you to link resumes. Um, You can sign up for their premium edition, which gives you access to all their training programs, which are additional things you can put on your resume. It allows you to actually, once you complete those courses, to say, add this to your LinkedIn profile. Uh, Employers see that. There's testing there. So if you have a specific industry, let's say you're a welder or maybe you work in a certain Salesforce tool, there is actually testing they have built in where you can take a test through LinkedIn. It gives you a score, show you how proficient you are with that and shares that with employers so that other employers know, hey, this person's not just talking that they know Salesforce. They've passed this test to show they have incredible skills on there and it gets passed on to employers. LinkedIn's probably out of everything here. One of the most powerful social media tools I think out there for getting a position, especially in the tech uh, related fields and things along those lines. But let people know you're looking for a job and you have to put that out there. Uh, I know that a lot of times people have the stigma with it, but you know, your people may be embarrassed or they don't want to put burden on others. But right now in this situation, we have specific areas in discourse for you to post your resume, uh, but use, don't just use our discourse, put it out there everywhere that you're in social media that, Hey, I'm looking for a job. This is what I do. And see if you'd be surprised how many people are out there be like, Hey, that's exactly what we need and may be able to, um, get you a job. This is actually a very good point about, you know, we already talked about get, putting it out there and, and, you know, kind of just putting, you know, being open about that you you need help and asking for help. But you, you said something that I, I think is interesting to, to clarify as well. And that is to, it will be awkward for sure, but there are some other benefits of LinkedIn has a lot, a lot of recruiters. And I would say that it's probably a little, a little bit of a negative, the like how many people are, uh, our recruiters on there in the sense of like if in the before all this happened and before all this this chaos started, there was thousands of messages you'll get just by being on on the on the site and having the, you know if you're in the tech world or whatever you'll have recruiters coming to you and that was prop was annoying but now there's actually a lot of value to it so if you put your stuff in there you might be contacted by recruiters to help you. Uh, maybe even just HR people to help you see if like if they if they find someone that fits what they need, then they will contact you. So if you put it out on on uh, you know t- uh, LinkedIn or any other places, it's definitely going to be worth doing it. And like I said, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. But another thing is that I I constantly get que- asked this question about like what's the best social media platform for insert reason. The answer is all of them. You basically should be using as many as you can to put your information out there. At, well, if well as you're willing to anyway, but I would suggest that you know most of them are, are very Except good Facebook. for that. If okay, in terms of Facebook, I completely agree. But 
In certain cases, it's okay to use Facebook. Like for example, if you have uh, Firefox and use the container tab structure, or if you install like the add-ons to have some better privacy aspects, uh, the the Facebook container of Firefox is fantastic. It's a it's a it's a good way of being able to use Facebook without the cesspool EFF of Facebook. privacy badger. Yeah. Yes, that one's good too. Uh, and there's also a lot of other ways to you know be stay careful on that. But if you can, uh, one of the things is don't put these some of these social networks on your on your phone like facebook has been caught like taking data from your phone and putting it into their allegedly you know, allegedly okay they have been called allegedly in in my opinion the lawyers just I've called me things. right when you said that <laughs> <laughs> well i've seen reports saying that this has happened but maybe it's allegedly in our whatever. opinion facebook yes. <laughs> is taking information from yes. phones so I, uh, I do think this is an important part to, to cover as we finish up this section. And we hope this is helpful. We're, we're doing this because we were just hearing so much feedback about people being furloughed or losing their jobs and wanting to switch careers. In fact, we have more emails in our box right now about that very subject. So that's why we wanted to cover this. Um, but you can be safe with social media. Use one machine that's on a guest network, for instance, instead of your main network that you're using. Use the container tabs. Use Privacy Badger. Don't put these things on your phone. Like I said, have a, a separate computer you're just using for social media. So even if you're a privacy-minded you know, freak like me, you can still do this stuff in a safer way that allows you to take advantage of it so that, again, you can put food on the table but not completely lose all the privacy that you've worked so many years to build up. Unfortunately, this is where businesses have gone to hire people. Just sending your resume to them goes into a giant pool of tens of thousands of people in which a machine grabs a bunch of keywords that it thinks it wants. And generally, especially as a hiring manager that gets what is filtered down to me, a bunch of junk that isn't what I want for the job. So the systems do a horrible job of filtering the resumes out to give me what I'm looking for. So that's why a lot of people are turning to things like social media to find the right candidates for their jobs. You can use it and you can use it in a privacy focused way. I uh, I was just trying to think about what the practical way to to do that. Like maybe you set up a VM with like uh, private internet access, and then so it's always connected to a network that isn't yours or something. That would be a good one. Yeah, I would think you could set up like a guest network on your. But what computer router. do you use? Yeah, but what computer do you use then? Computer like maybe you Raspberry set up Pi. V- Raspberry Pi. Yeah, that would be good. But then how do I access it? Because if I'm you know I don't want to carry a Pi. I don't think you have to have mobile social media, right? It's something you could check well, when you come home. Right. But like, what if I'm, you know, waiting to see a message or something? It'd just be nice. But I'm just thinking if you had like a pie and it had like private internet access and it was out there and then you had maybe X to go set up on it so I could get my laptop and I could just double click on an icon and then use that computer to. Uh, computer Kid, one of our patrons has a great idea. Get a digital ocean droplet with a VPN and route through that. You should yeah, definitely yeah. do that with the $100 free credit. You're welcome world. I kind of want to put that in there. <laughs> you will. All right, let's jump to the news section of the show. And first up, we're going to talk about Pine Tab because they we got we got a lot of Pine sixty four updates, just a huge amount of things. And the Pine Tab is something that is very interesting that they got it. They gave a lot of information about this this month. So take they take my money, take right. my money. We don't even need to cover it. I'm going to buy it. Whatever, it's Pine. <laughs> well, we're whatever they're selling, two, I'm buying. You, we're covering. Can you it buy for two? Other I'll pay for one. Yeah, exactly. Throw me in there. Yeah, so Pine64 released their May update, and it's packed with like a lot of exciting news. Uh, first up is the Pine tab. The tablet has a companion magnetic keyboard, which they announced, and this is a really cool thing because... Uh, let's give a quick rundown for the specs. 
So we have a 10 inch 720 IPS LCD panel. It has the same quad core A64 system on a chip and two gigabyte LPDDR3 RAM that the Pine phone has. It has a two, the front, front facing and rear cameras, a two megapixel for the front facing, five megapixel for the back camera. And it also has uh, 64 gigs of EMM, EMMC storage. So this is very, very cool. And it also has the, adopt, uh, the uh, option to use an adapter or an SSD with an, uh, the M.2 adapter, which is really cool that there's actually expandability on a tablet. The Pine Tab is a $100 tablet that has a $20 keyboard option as well. Uh, you don't have to get the keyboard, but it's only $20. And it also adds a lot of value to it. So I would anyway. Uh, it's really cool because it has a 6,000 milliamp hour battery. It's so a huge battery, yeah, by the way. It's a huge battery, especially for a tablet. Because uh, you you can find 6,000 milliamp hour. You can't even, sometimes you can find laptops that don't even have that. <laughs> so right. uh, it's really cool that they're doing that. Pine64 just keeps making awesome stuff. They just keep doing amazing work. with And also with the communities, because they're making these affordable products, they're making a lot more people being able to get through, get to the, these products and, you know, it's it, they're doing it in a way that's also a value to the digital divide that I think is a very important piece between uh, you know Absolutely. just for us. This is a huge plus for the digital divide, and you know going back to how they're doing this so effectively is they're building the hardware and letting the community deal with the software, and you've got the ridiculous talent. We talked about Unity earlier of Unity and what the team at UB Ports has done with that, which is what they're calling Lomiri. Yeah. So when you watch the Pine Tab. There's a video out there. I've shared it with our patrons and with the DL crew, but you can see how they're interacting with Unity in order to basically move windows around, do tiling, multitasking, which is such a big pain. And by the way, it's something that just now all the big software companies like Apple and Microsoft and everybody are starting to try to incorporate in tablets is the ability to properly multitask. But if you look how fluid it's running, the UB ports version in here in the resizing, snapping windows side by side, it's beautifully done. It's so well done. It's, it's not something that looks like it was sewed, sewed together or put in as an afterthought. And that's what really brings these amazingly inexpensive pieces of hardware to life is that software that's being done on top of it. So huge shout out to Pine64 because they've created a relationship with those developing software. Mm -hmm. So they're getting their hardware over to those individuals and they're creating amazing things with it. And it's this whole partnership. So instead of Pine trying to do their new de their own desktop environment, their own OS, their own everything, they're just partnering with people. And that's what we need more yeah. of. They're collaborating and they're also giving back to them as well. So they, there's, for example, the UB Ports edition of the Pine phone. If you purchase that, you, you basically almost pay cost anyway, but the profit they do get goes to UB Ports. And that's just an awesome, it's a, it's a company that makes good quality products at a affordable price. How, how often do you actually get a, you find a company that makes a, makes a product that is one, very cheap, very inexpensive, but also doesn't suffer for the inexpensive aspects. And it's really awesome that they're actually providing that and they're doing it with a collaborative effort with all the different Linux mobile OSs like UB ports and post-market OS and all this other stuff like Plasma Mobile. Like the fact that they actually are working with every single one of them to get as many options as possible to the point where you actually would be able to sort of share, you know, like, you know, we, we one of the best, biggest values of 
Linux that we have is that we can use so many different options and we can just switch whenever we want to. And to be able to do like basically distro hop on your phone because they're putting in this effort to have as much as good a support as they can for all these different systems. I mean, there's Plus the, you, you have the dual boot built in with the micro SD card. So you can actually dual boot without wiping all your data off your phone. You just stick the SD card in and you mm-hmm. boot to a new OS, just like you can do with their laptops, which is super cool. And they could do the same thing with their tablet, which has something that even the $500 tablets don't have, which is expandable memory. I know it's weird, but it's a thing. It used to exist that everybody <laughs> took away. Like there's so many cool things they're doing on, on top of in the integration. There was a video I saw where they were taking a application, something they were doing in an application on the tablet and they sent it over to the Pine Time so that it would continue over there on the watch. So integration is something that, barely exists. All we have really for integration in Linux is KDE Connect. That's the that's the only tool we have that has any real integration capabilities. But they're actually working with the software partners here so that you're going to have integration across the family of devices. And that's a huge missing point that we don't have uh, very heavily anywhere else. So they're filling in all these gaps on top of everything else. I'm just a huge fan of this company. The other thing I think is really important and I don't want to, I, I think the tremendous value that you get when you purchase these devices, right? It's one thing to make a inexpensive device. It's an entirely other thing to work well with the community, but neither of those things guarantee a good experience, right? If you, if for example, there are other companies that um, try to compete with uh, the Pine devices and the way that they go about doing that is they, they say all the right things, but then they don't actually follow through on 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 any of the things that they said they were going to do and and they oftentimes don't deliver on the promises and i think that one of the important things to highlight here is that the value you get from any of the pine devices to include my pinebook pro is well above what you would expect when you when you spend $250 on a computer i feel like i'm getting a $500 computer for 250 bucks they they seem like they have gotten into a really great cadence of underpromising and overdelivering and that's why they get so much praise from people when they release these products because they're doing such a good job. And I think that, you know, you touched a little bit on the technology divide. The vast majority of people that I run into for their day-to-day computing needs could get by with something like a Pinebook Pro or could get by with something like a Pinebook Pro that is maybe a little beefed up. But they're not purchasing Pinebook Pros right now. They're purchasing MacBooks and they're purchasing Windows Stream PCs because there isn't a product in the market that they can just walk into a store and walk out with. The fact that the Pine Group is willing to work with software developers directly, reach out to them and give them developer devices so that their software works well. And it means that I believe we're a couple years out from having a company that manufactures devices that you can just walk into a store and carry and, and, and pick up and purchase. The My local Best Buy is now carrying Raspberry Pis. You can buy a Raspberry Pi at a Best Buy. And what that's going to do to open the doors of technology to people that ordinarily wouldn't have experienced it, I can't even begin to imagine. And so if Pine is half successful as the Raspberry Pi folks are, then I think five to seven years from now, we're going to be in a really good place. Yeah. You can also walk into Target now. They've taken a whole section of Target and turned it into Raspberry Pi area where you can get the really? cases, you can get the expansion pieces, you can get kits, you can get all kinds of cool things. Raspberry Pi has done what Linux has been trying to do 
um, for uh, decades and have done it in a very short amount of time. And and they're all in the big box retailers. And a lot of it is because, and look, if you follow the trends, how many times have we had this discussion on this show about the people who get into the schools, the people who get into education, that's your next generation of workforce. And that's what Raspberry Pi did. They went after the kids, the projects, the robotics, the AI, the all the things, the pro- learning how to program, all of that built into this little tiny device that costs $35. Now you have Raspberry Pis in more homes than you probably have Linux in homes. And that's something to be said for what they've done. And Pine's kind of taking that same concept and putting it into laptops and tablets and watches and things that any parent could go out there and get for their kids so that they can learn on. It's pretty awesome. So next up in our gaming section, we have Valve is back with something awesome that they promised the Linux community. And do you think Valve let us down? The answer is no. Of course, the answer is no. They did not let us down. They said Half-Life Alex, or what I call Half-Life 3 because I'm so edgy, <laughs> right. is now available. They said they were going to bring it to Linux. It's now available for Linux out there. So if you are waiting for probably the best virtual reality game and after watching people stream this, I can say that a lot of the virtual reality games I've seen out there do not make me want to buy a VR headset because they look cool. They look interesting. And I'm sure with the headset on, it's pretty awesome. But, you know, they're polygons. The hands don't quite look right. There's more humor in it than, you know, feeling like you're really in a new world. Half-Life Alex is all the opposite of that. It is so intense and the music the soundtrack the graphics are incredible it just looks awesome and we have it here on linux and by the way in case anybody uh, was wondering valve specifically recommends having an amd gpu with the mesa rad v driver as they put it this isn't my words for the best results nice. So there you go <laughs> perfect oh yeah this is really cool i think that uh Alex is a very impressive game. Like it looks, it's it's one of the like you said. It's it's the only time that I've actually been thinking like I I kind of want VR now. Like I like the idea of VR, right? But now I actually think that it'd be really cool to to actually get one. And I look forward to you know eventually the price is dropping. No, no, no. I look, yeah, I look forward to the prices dropping, and also when the stay at home orders are done, I will go to your house once you have one and then play it. That's yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah, actually, that's, I plan to go to Noah's house because I know he's going to be the first one to have one. So maybe we could all take a trip to Noah's house when he buys one. Yeah, have a have we'll a game all, sesh. I'll, I like it. I'll yeah. make I'll make a deal. You yeah, can we'll have a game my, sesh. You. I'll make a deal. You guys all show up. I can smack you silly for the way you talk, and then we can have a game session. Okay, cool. That sounds perfect. Good deal. You know what? You're you're the one dropping the eight hundred, so I'm fine with getting smacked so that I can have my game sesh. Exactly. So the software spotlight this week is KSNP. This is a tool that is allowed you to do a screenshot tool. It's also multi, multi-platform. multi But what's really cool about this is that KSNP has so many really awesome features. Like it's not just a basic screenshot tool. It has that, yes. So it can do all the stuff that you would expect, like a custom rectangular area, being able to like choose the last rectangular area that you already selected, which by the way is not very common, but really cool that it has it. But also like the current active screen and monitor, like 
uh, active window, you know, delay the amount of time between the, you know, start hitting the button and actually capturing so you can like make sure that your tooltips are up and everything like that. It has all the basic stuff, but it also has other stuff that is not that common, like being able to upload screenshots to Imager and, you know, doing it in an anonymous mode, or you can have a login user mode and do it that way. But I think the, the coolest thing for me is the annotation options. So there's so many different ways of annotating your a screenshot with KSNP. So you can use the pen tool where you can draw on it, basically. You can have the highlighter mode. You can do arrows where you can just like point to use, draw and point arrows into something specifically like doing uh, numbered steps and that kind of thing. You can also add like uh, text or even a blur functionality with the blur tool. And there's nice. so many other pieces like you can do watermarks and all kinds of stuff like KSNP is a really cool piece of software. And if you haven't ever tried it, uh, it is definitely worth checking out. It's also based on Qt, which does make it even better. So check it out if you want. KSNP uh, is we'll have a link to it in the show notes below. If you work in IT, or maybe you don't work in IT, you just use the computer to manage stuff a lot, um, we run into the issue all the time of trying to replicate what we see or what we know to be in a given site in some sort of electronic format. Now, you can go into LibreOffice and try and draw things out. You can use Inkscape to create uh, graphics arts, but it's really nice when you have software that's specifically designed for doing diagrams. Now, the software that we have been using lately, and are a real fan of is draw.io. Now it's available as a snap pack or a snap package, excuse me. You can get it at snapcraft.io slash draw.io. And it allows you to easily create and, uh, and maintain professional drawings with uh, an application that can be integrated into Confluence or Jira. Um, so if you have other IT infrastructure that's already in place and you are trying to manage what what did that rack look like? What spaces are available? What is the room layout going to look like when we're building this data center and how many servers are going to be wide and all of those kinds of things? You can figure all of that out in a computer with a drawing that your entire team can have access to, make modifications to, and then resave and render. And that way that information is always stored in an electronic way that can be backed up and is safe forever. The app is called Draw. Dot io you can learn more at snapcraft.io slash draw io um yeah it's just it's a really great app and i i actually have started using it for some for, for some um, kind of off the wall things we're redoing we're remodeling our house in the living room my my, my wife was asking me she goes well, how is this all going to look and she gets out the yellow pad um with the ruler and starts drawing i'm like do you forget what house you live in and we I'll open point. up draw io and then <laughs> and of course save that s to a to an nfs share and then had her open it up and now we have now we have real planning happening. Nice. That's awesome. On Dryo. A big thank you to each and every one of you by watching or listening to Destination Linux. If you want a behind the scenes pass in the making of the show and an opportunity to chat with us live, consider becoming patrons. Our patrons help keep this show going and get perks like access to live recordings and unedited versions of the show and got to hang out with us on Saturday for a patron only chat. The best part is you can join for just a few dollars on Patreon or sponsors. Destination Linux Network also has a great way for you to become a part of the community by going to destinationlinux.network and joining our forums. You can discuss the shows, the network, all with listeners from all around the world in one place. Now, if you're looking for more live chat sessions, then we invite you to join our Telegram group or our Discord server. We can interact and share your passion for Linux with other members of the community. If you want to learn more, we invite you to head over to destinationlinux.network. And we love hearing from you, so please get back to us and provide some feedback or ask any burning questions you may have. 
send video links or comments to our email address, comments at destinationlinux.org. Please try to keep the comments brief as we may include them in a future episode of the show. Also, don't forget to go to the DLN store and pick up some awesome swag from across the network of podcasts and shows. We have limited edition design that shows off all the founding shows of the Destination Linux Network. Grab yourself a hoodie, a t-shirt, a coffee cup today. Many people claim it changes their lives and many people are starting to send us artwork to use on future shirts, one of which is a stool. So thank you very much for those contributing to the store there as well. We may have some fun stuff coming up for you soon. Yeah, that's de- that's, that's we're definitely going to have a stool shirt. And thank you very much for sending that in. So uh, also, uh, we, if you want to check out the, the, the Linux is Everywhere shirt is now on the DLN store. So be sure to go there, destinationlinux.network slash store. And if you like some more content, or the fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels. You can go to youtube.com slash dosgeek, where Ryan will fill your brains on hardware, software, and all things Linux. You can find my content at tuxdigital.com, where I do an in-depth weekly Linux news podcast, This Week in Linux, and other Linux-related content. You can check out asknoahshow.com, where Noah does a weekly talk. Linuxstool.com. My bad, linuxstool.com. Where Noah hosts a weekly talk radio show at 6 p.m. Central on Tuesdays. You can join him and he'll answer your Linux and tech questions as well as business questions if you want. So check that out. Oh, Linux, Linuxstool.com apparently. Also go to youtube.com slash for Ryan's. Mine is tuxdigital.com and I'm going to skip the other stool domains. No, fillmystool.com. I'm gonna, my, Noah paid good money for that. Sorry. As t- a promotional marketing We are proud of our stool heritage. Yeah. For, for sure. Some of, of course. Us are. Of course. Yeah. Uh, tuxmystool.com. There you go. What a jerk. You buy that stuff for him. He doesn't even appreciate it. Jeez, man. Some <laughs> premium domains there. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Make sure to check out our other destination Linux network shows like Hardware Addicts, Linux for Everyone, and the DLN Extend podcast. Also, if you'd like to help out, you know, find some information about COVID-19, there's Folding at Home and Rosetta at Home. We have teams for Destination Linux Network. If you'd like to participate in that, we'll have the numbers to how to join the team in the show notes below. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. And we'll take you there with Destination Linux. Thanks, nice. Yep. See you next week. <laughs>